It's gone half time, and I'm scared. The steward has moved from his usual spot by the pitch, and I see my chance. It's the England v Spain Women's Euros quarterfinal, and I'm about to do something crazy. I get up from my seat and walk down the stairs, unbuttoning my shirt to reveal the just stop oil scrawled underneath. I climb onto the pitch, aware of the chorus of boos begin to ring out around the stadium. I run to the goalposts, taking out the tube of hand gel that looks like glue. I apply it to my hands. It's been five minutes now, and I'm scared. I'm sitting in a year eight biology lesson, quietly freaking out because my friend Matt has moved onto our table without permission. It doesn't sound like much, but I'm absolutely terrified of getting told off. I see my chance. I get up from my seat and walk to the teacher's desk. I ask Mr. Hayton, my science teacher, should everyone be in their normal seats, sir? And walk back to my table, aware of an imaginary chorus of boos that begin to ring out around the classroom. Mr. Hayton gets up from his desk and starts to shout. I look at my hands. I've always been a pretty anxious kid. My anxiety was arguably worse during secondary school, manifesting into a huge fear of being badly behaved and getting told off. I remember having basically a panic attack one night over the merest hint that I might be told off. My behaviour was, was, of course, impeccable then, during this period, and my grades were pretty great, but I didn't have much else. I was quite obsessed with working hard and doing well, to the point that I sacrificed my social relationships for it. I grew further and further estranged from my close friendship group and migrated to the library, spending my lunch times reading mostly. My fear prevented me from getting with the girl I was madly in love with at the time. As a result, she went into a relationship with my twin brother that lasted three years, and I was in the friend zone for at least two of them, but we won't go into that. My fears at home were of getting kidnapped. In spite of living in an incredibly safe area, I remember being greatly affected by the Madeleine McCann case, to the point that I'd check the doors a few times and my room every night for the man who was out to kidnap me. It became a ritual. I'd get stuck in fear loops of constant checking for this terrifying, kidnapping bogeyman or devouring dragon, a monster that was quite literally under my bed. Bless my parents. They did their absolute best to soothe my fears, but there was much less mental health resources around at the time to help. Plus, incredibly good behaviour is to be praised, isn't it? It was difficult to see the unhealthy place it was coming from. Instead of being taught about the role of fear in life and how to deal with it, I was learning piles of information that has now left me, like osmosis. For the past two years, I've been on a journey to understand my fear and lessen its tremendous impact on my life. This class is a summation of everything I've learned and is addressed entirely to my beautiful, scared, 13-year-old self. So welcome, Jack. Welcome to Dragon Biology. The first lesson of Dragon Biology is that dragons exist. And my first case study that provides evidence for this fact 
is the popular TV show, Dragon's Den. You say dragons don't exist. I say, what about Dragon's Den? These dragons are scary, intimidating, treasure-hoarding creatures, sitting in a cave-like den which our heroes have to enter and then face the dragons if they're going to win treasure for themselves in the form of a business investment. It's all there on the surface. Humans transformed into dragons before our eyes. But what is it that transforms them? The Jungian psychotherapist James Hollis defines a dragon as an archetypal universal image representing the devouring fearfulness of life, that which would destroy you or swallow you or take you back to the cave. So the dragon is a very old symbol in the western mind, of fear. And if we return to the example of year 8 biology, Mr Hayton my science teacher, was the dragon I feared. His anger and displeasure at my misbehaving were the flames that I was too terrified to face. And instead, I cowardly directed his wrath at my friend instead. I've done many things since then to address his fear consciously. I've had CBT and a whole host of different therapies. I created something called the Rejection Challenge, which I kept going for 40 days in a row, facing fears like asking for free stuff in shops, taking selfies with strangers, asking random people for a chat, doing magic trips that deliberately went wrong, oh, and starting a podcast. I faced my fears of rejection by having relationships with girls, and faced my fear of messing up exams by, well, messing up exams nearly not being able to do a gap year at my chosen university. It felt a lot more traumatic than it sounds. What I've learned from all these different experiences is that courage is a muscle. It requires regular training, otherwise you lose it. I experienced this with the Dragon Project. The momentum of talking to 100 strangers in 100 days grew my courage tremendously due to the regular exercise of the muscle. I'm a little out of shape now, so approaching people is harder. But of everything I've done, what's been the most effective in facing the dragon directly has been my activism. It took me nearly 20 years to wake up to the climate crisis. Since then, what's brought me peace has been action. Activism causes me a lot of fear as it's often incurring the wrath and dislike of members of the public to bring attention to the cause. Sitting in the road does this pretty immediately, for example. It's facing the dragon quite literally. There was an exquisite vulnerability to it, putting one's safety directly in the hands of others. And there's an urgent necessity to it, helping to protect our beautiful planet. This motivated me to run onto the pitch and pretend to glue myself to the goalposts on that fateful Wednesday evening. I was summarily torn off the moment I clasped on and, fortunately, paraded in front of the press and the audience of the Daily Mail. I'm awaiting trial for pitch invasion and I'm likely going to have a criminal record.
A few years ago, back in biology, such a prospect would have, well, terrified me. But I'm okay with it now. You see, I've faced a number of my greatest fears in this one action. Publicly misbehaving in front of 9 million people. Facing the wrath and dislike of 500 or so Daily Mail commentators, and I'm sure many more people. But I'm at peace with it, for I acted out of love for our planet and in accordance with my heart and soul, with my deepest being who has the courage to act and not to be cowed by fear. For when you face a dragon, you learn the second and final lesson of dragon biology. Lesson two, dragons don't exist. I actually bumped into my old biology teacher, Mr Hayton, outside the football ground on Wednesday. We were both heading to the game. He's got long curly hair now and is no longer teaching. Or a dragon in my eyes. People change. He also has now unintentionally witnessed the most shameful and most proud moments of my life. That time in biology where I was devoured by the dragon and... Well, last Wednesday at the Amex when it disappeared. And if I could give advice to my beautiful, scared, 13-year-old self, I'd say it's actually okay to bend the rules every now and then. Getting into trouble really isn't that bad. And it's okay to be scared. Just don't let that freeze you from getting what your heart most desires. Love. So follow your heart and you won't regret it. Trust me.